This is the Spatial Navigator podcast brought to you by Nanostring. Here at Nanostring, we believe that spatial genomics is at the forefront of discovery and translational biology research. We present the work that researchers are doing in the field and share our initiatives to engage and support them. Today's episode is a conversation with Swati Renati. She's a director of scientific market development here at Nanostring, and she has been working in the genomic space since the turn of the millennia. She traces the progression of the technology, and we talk about the spatial organ atlas, whole transcriptome datasets of select organs, which will drive understanding of disease and is an open invitation to adventure and collaboration. Hi Swati, thank you for joining me on the podcast. It's really good to have you on here. Hi Jonathan, it's great meeting you today and I am looking forward to our conversation. I have been in the genomics industry for the past 20 years. It has come a long way and I am really looking forward to discuss about how um, this industry has pro- progressed. Yeah, do you mind going more into detail of how the methods and experimental procedures have changed over the 20 years. Absolutely. So honestly, I still remember the days when I started my PhD and I used to run up and down the radioactive lab where we used to run these radioactive gels doing Sanger sequencing, utilizing um, radioactive labeling, you know, and it was the, uh, it was the dideoxy termination type method for carrying out Sanger sequencing. And then came the era where ABI came out with its first um, automated DNA sequencer. I mean, there were others, but ABI really uh, took it to the new level. And, uh, you know, it's, it really started to rapidly change the pace of science. Um, previously, maybe a person might sequence a gene or two in their entire PhD program. And here we are where we are able to sequence an entire human genome within a span of a week. So uh, things have come a long way. It, it really is amazing. And I personally feel very, very blessed that I was able to be part of this revolution, you know. Um, so when I started my career, it was really these rudimental technologies that we were using at a slow pace. And then around the time when I was finishing up my postdoc in the year 2004, the field was really poised to explore. I mean, in 2003, the first human genome got sequenced and people thought that's it, that's done. But then that was really the beginning, you know. <laughs> uh, it was far from done. <laughs> and uh, that was the time when uh, this whole revolution for developing short-read sequencing technologies had begun. And um, my first job out of postdoc, I uh, got into agent code personal genomics. This was a place that was developing the solid sequencing technology. The idea you know, initially started from the time when publications from George Church's lab came out talking about the Polony and carrying out sequencing in beads. And then from there on, this was an amazing revolution and a half hour podcast won't be enough to discuss all this. And that is not our no, focus today, yeah. but it yeah. really began from there. And, you know, 
there on onwards in you know 2007 2008 these short read sequencing technologies came out um 2009 the long read sequencing technologies came out 2000 and um you know around 10 people started to explore like whether they can do single cell sequencing and so various methods were getting explored and uh, you know it's just been progressing from there on and onwards and today um we kind of don't blink an eye if whether it is a whole genome sequencing or you know just kind of looking at personalized genomes um you know for precision medicine and all this has been possible only because of the technological progress in the last 20 years like i said if i had to go chronologically through each and everything um we would need way more time <laughs> yeah yeah i think it's interesting when you mentioned in 2003 the whole human genome sometimes we feel tempted to say that oh this is the peak of our This is the peak of our civilization. We're done. Yeah, exactly. Um, but then, when you take into consideration things like microRNA and how those uh, regulate gene expression and and modify it, that's that's a whole different story. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Like you know, initially we were only ultra focused on sequencing the DNA, but then the fields have progressed, and they have progressed in many different ways, right? I mean. having uh, the ability to do this massively parallel sequencing with from very little amounts of dna has enabled lot of new fields like look at these uh, uh cell free dna sequencing or look at you know microbiomes the first project done by craig vendor's team was the sargasso sea where they just collected dna from ocean and started sequencing it so honestly these were the kinds of things that were unthinkable uh prior to the next gen sequencing revolution and then came the time and you know having made all this progress really it was amazing to see that in you know 2020 we saw for the first time the end to end what is the truly telomere to telomere sort of sequencing uh, of x chromosome that was done for the first time so uh having that progress that has been happening for 20 years it's amazing that even today there is so much more that remains to be done despite all this progress so i'm really excited about you know all the science that is happening and that will continue to happen in the coming years <laughs> and and i mean the tech that we're talking about today or rather the initiative that we're talking about today is really like on the precipice of changing the way that we think of uh pathology and and the way that um that we understand the impacts of disease right absolutely you know uh having like coming to think of it single cell um genomics was like a very uh, advanced step in the direction of starting to understand the changes in the biology cell by cell right what mapping those cells what cell types exist in a given sample what is what broadly kind of you know how, uh, what is changing like on average that is something that we started to change and start looking at cell by cell changes and so if genomics was doing average changes with single cell genomics we started doing cell by cell changes but that in itself is not sufficient because honestly the biology is happening in three dimensional space and so to understand what changes why and at what time in space and what does that lead to 
in changing, you know, a tissue from being normal to diseased, that spatial context of single cell information or understanding single cell information in spatial context, if I may put it in better words, then, um, you know, it, it has such a different meaning. So this is almost like bringing pathology and genomics together. If, you know, so far pathologists used to live in their own world and genomicists used to live in their own world and the space, uh, you know, uh, this new field of uh, spatial biology is really starting to bring the pathologist and the genomicist together. And that is like the cutting edge of science that we live oh, at yeah. today. <laughs> We're here to talk about the spatial organ atlas. Um, could I ask the about the inspiration for the atlas along with how you were involved in it. Absolutely. Nanostring, the leader in spatial biology, and it has its DNA profiling platform that a lot of researchers have been taking advantage of to study their tissues. And um, a lot of the work that happened in the early days of um, geomics digital spatial profiling technology um, research was in the area of cancer biology, right? Like most of our very, very early publications come from the field of oncology. And it was one of the, you know, it is one area where really tissue changes happen in the tumor and tumor microenvironment and, you know, studying the immune profiles of these tumors and how things are changing between the tumor and the tumor microenvironment was very, in, like, it's, it's a very hot topic at the moment. And those were the scientists who took most advantage of this um, studying, you know, uh, transcriptomes in space to understand these changes in um, tumors to advance their knowledge about cancer and how to, of how to evolve modern or new ways of understand not only understanding cancers but finding biomarkers and if how can that be progressed in f developing future um, uh, you know medications for curing cancer so obviously those were the researchers who took on um, you know took uh, took this DSP spatial biology capabilities and ran with it. But then those are not the only applications that can be achieved using spatial biology. And so internally um, at Nanostring, we started looking at various organs with the hope that, you know, we have this spatial, uh, we have the special ability in genomics DSP to pick regions of interest. And we wanted to figure out, you know, how can we use this to our advantage? And uh, so the internal R&D uh, and translational sciences scientists started to explore um, organ tissues and looking at individual structures. And for ages, like last 50 years, we have known that um, our tissue architecture, you know, kind of determines the tissue function. So this, with this underlying theme of structure defines function, we wanted to look at whether we can look at individual structures within the organs and um, figure out ways uh, to study, you know, how these different uh, functional units of organs are changing in normal tissues and disease tissues. And to before we dive into those sorts of um, experiments, we wanted to establish what is normal, what is standard, 
And so then we, you know, got this, uh, a number of these uh, normal tissues and we started to look into uh, how the profiles were in different functional units of the organs. So rather than just picking random areas, we started to pick these um, regions of interest focused around unique functional substructures of every single organ. So to give you an example, if you're looking at a kidney, then we started to pick the region of interest around glomerulus, then around tubules, ducts, and then individually started to look at the biology of each of these functional units and how uh, whether those pathways that we detect in these individual structures will speak to the function of that organ. And it was interesting and amazing to see you could almost recapitulate the um, 50 years of research in this one experiment because you could now actually pick those signatures, the physiological changes that happened in these substructures, uh, which people have been studying and proving one by one in painstaking manner. <laughs> So that's how it started in R&D, initially just as an experiment to learn whether we could pick ROIs around functional units and then can we detect changes that are actually supposed to happen in those specific regions. Um, my involvement, I started working at NanoString about a year ago and at that time as a scientific market development um, director and I was interested in kind of, you know, picking this project and taking it one step further to show how you can actually um, look into a number of applications utilizing such methods. And so we started to uh, kind of come up with concepts of how we can utilize this information and shape the vision for how profiling can be studied in organs and for understanding organ biology. So, so I think that that's more like translating it into applications in the future. Correct. Would I be right in saying that? I see. Correct. Correct. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's how we started and we created a vision. Like, you know, we, we had three goals in mind. The vision was like, okay, first we create these, uh, you know, kind of or based on the theme of structure defines function. We will collect this information in a systematic manner and show to the world how organ biology can be studied utilizing our, our unique region of interest selection uh, capability and then going one step further and utilizing our masking capability to then dissect out individual cell types in neighborhood niches. Now, DSP obviously is not a single cell technology but it, it allows us to look at neighborhoods. It allows us to look at what cells do collectively. And honestly, biology will happen when cells interact with each other. And that is what we can tell with the digital spatial profiler. And so I think Organ Atlas is a unique initiative where we not only started uh, creating experimental design strategies and, and analysis strategies, but we are also sort of defining how to study organ biology and we want to create data standards. We want to um, show the, uh, show our customers how to collect information in the most organized fashion so that they can take this and create applications. And then really how, what applications can be done is their imagination and our 
technology, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, a quote that I, I saw that I thought was extremely beautiful was that mapping the whole transcriptomes of, of the multicellular molecular machines that drive organ biology. Yeah. So then all the different parts, all the different machinery that, that's within ourselves. And Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it is. Um, it's, I mean, when we think about it, like, you know, every individual cell is like a machine, right? And a number of these machines are coming together and, and forming a bigger machine. And it's almost like a, running a car, right? Like there is several different systems. They have to be put together so that this four wheels and a chassis can keep driving and take us from point A to point B. And some it's somewhat like that, like human, human bodies are also like machines and each organ is playing its part. And within that organ, each structure is defining its function and within those structures there are so many number of cells so this is just kind of an amazing amazing field that is kind of just starting to evolve <laughs> yeah i understand that currently there are five organs that are available um human brain mouse brain the colon lymph nodes pancreas and kidneys yes um are we going to see a spreading out to other organs or are we going to see uh, di delving deeper into into the understanding of these organs. Yeah, I mean, we internally plan to add a f add a few more organs this year, and then uh, our hope is that there is a lot of you know a lot of uh, researchers who have shown interest in taking this further and creating more organ atlases of the organs that we have already uh, shown to the world, but also some others that are in their collection. So I'm really looking forward to see like this is kind of a seed that we have sown and how this kind of develops and how many more, um, you know, seeds the original plant is going to create and how is this going to keep growing into a forest of <laughs> Oh yeah, the, for the forest <laughs> analogy really, really hit me hard. If the body is a forest and we're focusing on, on bulk, we're looking at the forest as a whole ecosystem. But then if it's single cell, we might be looking at one tree or maybe even like one part of that, that yeah, tree. Yeah, I mean, like one a, leaf a worm of that, that tree, right? <laughs> or, or a worm going, going through its trunk. Yeah, yeah. So it will be interesting. I think I would like to kind of envision this in a similar fashion. Like, for example, when in 2003, the first human genome was done, we did only one genome and that too was partial. Not all the gaps were closed, right? I mean, even today... Um, it's not completely closed for every single chromosome, but for whatever, you know, 99% completion we can achieve today a lot, instead of just one genome, now we have this idea of pan-genomes because we understand, right, there are so many differences and just doing one sequence is not enough as a reference. So we have to do so many more before, you know, uh, and who knows? if there ever will be one true reference, right? Even if we collapse like thousands of genomes, we may still For not sure. have that perfect reference. So, um, you know, and that is where this whole concept of personalized medicine comes into play, right? People want oh, yeah. that, their information. So honestly, I can see a lot of analogy between that uh, situation and the situation in spatial uh, atlasing of organs. So there will be a lot more that will have to be done and we won't be doing it alone. <laughs> so I guess from what has been mentioned, I think that 
there is potential for collaboration uh, with customers as well as those the applications and the findings from those customers would would then uh, be what's driving the understanding of, of disease correct yes so what we have done in the current uh, initiative is really created these tools for showcasing how to carry out organ research right and Mm-hmm. We might do it for a few more organs. And then our goal is to let our customers run with this concept. And we are here to guide them. So we are here to provide them guidance on uh, if they need it, right? So, for example, if they take pick a new organ, then what are all the substructures that they should be looking for? Um, so obviously, we will do everything to provide that sort of guidance. And then... Um, you know, every, so that, I mean, there are so many organs in human body and we probably won't be able to do all of them. Right. So we will do a select few. And then based on the science that is going on in a individual researchers lab, they can either take advantage of what we have already done as their starting point, or some might have to start uh, from scratch because their organ is not yet in the (laughs) organ atlas, but we are here to provide guidance as to what should they look for, how, how do they go about making sure they have accommodated all the substructures within their organ of interest and collect that information. So I, I actually have a statement. Could I, could I read it to you and then uh, you tell me how true, how true it is? Um, to, think out of, to think out of the box, you first need to define the box. So in, in the same vein, to know abnormal, you need a reference to normal. And while pathologists can identify disease, it is typically with notable change. Even in bulk RNA-seq, you are getting an aggregate. So changes to the gene and protein expression may not be identified till later in the later stages of the disease. Yeah, I mean, that obviously I wouldn't say that it is exactly like that, but I would say whatever you just mentioned has like, you know, it summarizes a lot of reality in the sense that You can define a box if you already have a fair bit of idea, right? (laughs) But if you don't know what the box size is, you can't define it a priori. So obviously you need to kind of get started. And then if depending, depending on how much information you have, then you have a defined box. So I would say for the tissues that we have already added, we have put out somewhat of a box and then, um, you know, there are many, many elements probably that are still that need to be filled in. So what we have given is a whole transcriptome atlas um, for a given organ, say, for example, kidney or pancreas. And then we have provided methods for how to look at the different functional substructures within these organs and individually try to understand what is seemingly normal. Now, one has to, I have been warned by a lot of pathologists many, many times that nothing can ever be completely normal, right? So we try to say (laughs) non-diseased for whatever extent we know, because sometimes you may not know the underlying issues or conditions a person is sort of experiencing and every single um, thing going on in the body is somehow affecting each of your organs. So it is like as normal or as non-diseased baseline as you can get. And I think that is also one reason why you should have multiple, like we have only four right now. So an ideal atlas will probably have way many organs 
um, might be, you know, coming from different ethnic groups. And like I said, again, this is not something we as a tools company will be able to do. But our hope is that a number of public consortia, a number of individual researchers, everybody is going to keep doing this uh, type of spatial biology research and collectively this information is going to um, add to give us better and better references. There is a question that I wanted to ask earlier. Has the spatial organ data been validated against other gold standard platforms? Um, yeah, so I mean, that was always at the top of our mind because we are not, you know, we are not the organ experts here. So we would, uh, and, and any, you know, any good, uh, any well-designed experiment will look for controls and standards, right? So we also wanted to look for controls and standards to compare our data with, to validate that whatever we are, uh, signals we are picking up are the right ones and we are picking up the correct, um, uh, you know, changes in the right places. So um, at the time when these were kind of putting some finishing touches to those organs that are already in our database, the most well-defined, um, I think, um, standard data set that was available was that from Human Protein Atlas, so HPA. And um, this was sort of, we felt it is a good orthogonal method of uh, identifying the signatures in locations. So we went to, um, you know, validate our gene expression data um, the, the, the specific uh, probes that we were detecting, you know, from our whole transcriptome atlas, uh, transcriptome signature from specific locations, we went and validated that against human protein atlas. And we were really happy to note that um, we would look at a certain gene uh, because it's known to be changing in a particular area and we could actually find that on the human protein atlas as well. So absolutely, we have validated against the human protein atlas. And, you know, our data is like available for download. So anybody can freely download that data set. And from the time when we started this project to today, there are a lot more new data sets that are available from, you know, HapMap and other places. And we would love if somebody goes and you know, does, you know, this comparison and validates uh, what they found in HapMap versus what we have found in a DSP profiling based organ atlas strategy. So, you know, it's uh, it's really the data is there and the sky is the limit for people who want to go explore it. It really feels like an invitation to exploration. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're so right, Jonathan. Um, one last question. Um, what excites you about what Nanostring is doing? Uh, if, you, if one looks at my career track, I have always been excited by cutting-edge technologies. And so, you know, just like I mentioned earlier in this uh, podcast, I was part of the, the group that was developing the solid sequencing technologies. And then I started working at Pacific Biosciences since 2009. So those were the early days we launched our instrument and have worked in that place for almost nine years, um, you know, developed the HLA sequencing strategy. And so basically it was 
I had the opportunity to participate in the second generation short read sequencing revolution and then the third generation, as they, some people like to call it, but long read sequencing revolution, right? So always have this affinity for going and working in cutting edge fields. And I think after, I mean, the sequencing field will continue to grow and probably more new technologies are on the horizon and they will keep revolutionizing the space. But really field-wise, I, I personally feel spatial biology is gonna see the next biggest revolution. And I'm so excited to be part of the nanostream family who is clearly the leader in spatial biology. <laughs> Exactly. I, I don't think I could cap cap it off any better than that. Uh, Swati, thank you for thank you for joining me on this episode of the podcast. Thank you so much, Jonathan. It was a pleasure talking to you today. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Spatial Navigator podcast brought to you by Nanostring. If you would like to know more about Nanostring's product and panel offerings or speak to a member of our staff, please visit nanostring.com. You may also get in touch with us through LinkedIn, Instagram, or Twitter. The links to which are in the description.